Hey, Brunsbridge Inside Out, how are you all doing tonight? Well, I guess I should say um, congratulations for surviving snowpocalypse of 2016, right? What a letdown. Friday felt like an episode from Game of Thrones. Everyone walking around like, winter is coming. And it was so, so disappointing. I think that uh, Canada are really laughing at us right now, America. The fact that you know, there was a dusting of snow when we woke up and it kind of shut a lot of things down. Now, I have to admit, um, it was a bit tough for me because in the cold weather this weekend, I had no heating working in my car. So I was driving around with a scarf and a jacket and gloves on. And I'm like driving around. It felt like I was driving a convertible with the roof down in the middle of winter. So it was, it was tough for me, but I got through it. And congratulations to you, you got through it too. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Adam. And tonight we're in week three of a series called All In, where we're talking about going all in in some big areas of your life, and we're gonna challenge you to go all in in a couple of areas of your life. Now, last week, uh, Beth Romanowski was here. How awesome was Beth? Did you enjoy Beth? She was here and she talked about the idea of identity, but today, we're gonna address a different issue. Now, I gotta be honest. I feel like the, the topic we're gonna discuss tonight is a little bit tense for some of us. In fact, in Ireland, we have an expression about topics that make us tense, and we call them squeaky bum topics. <laughs> These are the topics that um, when somebody brings them up, they make your butt cheeks clench, you know? <laughs> like when somebody, says, when somebody says, we need to talk, right? You know how that feels? In fact, side, side note, one time um, I was dating a girl and we were in Subway and things had not been going well between us, and she looked at me from across the table and said, we need to talk. And I felt so sick to my stomach that I ran into the bathroom and vomited everywhere. All of the subway just came all back up, right? So that's, that's what the squeaky bum topics are. And for some of us, the reason, why, the reason why this topic is a squeaky bum topic is because it's just a topic that when we bring it up, it makes us tense. And the reason it makes us tense is because this topic is kind of, it's sensitive. Tonight, we're gonna be talking about the idea of going all in with our families. Now, Talking about families can be a pretty tense thing, right? Because when you talk about families, you're talking about the people who have, especially when we're younger, the most power to help or to harm us. Um, usually they're the people that we're closest to in relationship, and so they have the opportunity to make us the happiest when things are going well, but when the relationship is going bad, it can be the worst relationship in our entire lives. When things aren't going well in our relationship with our family, it often works its way out into other areas of our life. So when things aren't going well with our parents or our brothers and sisters, you'll often see it at school or it'll come out with our friends. And for some of us, our families are just so different. There are so many variations on families. Like none of us have like the same family dynamics. For some of you, like it's a, a one parent home and so it's really small and it's just you and your parent. And for other people, it's huge families with step parents and step brothers or adopted brothers and sisters. And there's all of these crazy dynamics going on. And, and then what happens within our families can vary. I mean, your family might be tense because there's some divorce in your family. And maybe the, the tension in there, your parents, your broken relationship has worked its, down, its way down to you and now you're feeling some of the repercussions for that. And maybe your brothers and your sisters just fight all the time. Maybe they've said things that have hurt you. Maybe they've even stolen something from you. Maybe you just cannot seem to get along and so it's just 
it's really hard to think about going all in with your family. Like, how would you even start to do that, right? It's, it's, just, it's tense, it's sensitive. You might even come from a home where there's been abuse and it's made you resentful. And I totally understand that. For me, with, with my family story, again, my family is, is different than other people's stories, but I, I've had a good relationship with my parents growing up. And there's been ups and downs, and there's been times where we've got along better than at other times, but for the most part, it's been pretty good. The person that I've had most relational difficulty with, most tension with, has been my sister. Now, my, sister, my sister's name is Naomi, and things started off pretty well for us, right? We were kind of all cuddly and all that sort of stuff, but things took a turn pretty quickly because by about a year or two on, we were already looking like this. This is the face of a man who does not want to hold her hand. I'm like, get your hand away from me. I'm going to slap it, right? I, I just, I, we just didn't get along that well. And then as we got a little bit older, we did a whole bunch of different activities together, uh, one of which unfortunately was mime, right? And so we kind of spent a lot of time around each other, even though we didn't necessarily get along all that well. But the strange thing about my sister is, right now, like when, when we got older, she's only five foot one, but at one time in our lives before we were teenagers, she was taller than I was. And she used to play the cruelest game on me called Ding. So let me tell you about Ding. So in this really cruel game, my sister, who remember was bigger than me, she would, she would come and she would like grab me, throw me on the ground, pin me down so that my hands were back like this, and she would put her knees on my arms to hold them down so she's sitting on my chest. And then she would take her two fingers and she would start poking me in the chest repeatedly, just over and over and over and over again. Now, that might not seem like it would be that painful, but if you just do it for a few seconds, you'll realize that it feels after a second or two like somebody's hitting you with a hammer. And she's doing it like as hard as she can. And then she would say, say ding, say ding. And when I'd say ding, she'd slap me across the face. <laughs> Cruel. So that's what our childhood was like, right? And then when we became teenagers, because she's only a year older than me, when we became teenagers, I became taller than her. And we weren't really friends in high school, but there was something that I definitely wanted from her in high school, and that was her hot friends. She had three best friends throughout high school and I dated each of them at, at different stages. And she hated me for it. She hated me for it. Yeah, thanks, round of applause for that, yeah. Oh. And the thing was, because I was her younger brother, she was so embarrassed that her best friends would date her younger brother. Like she was just, in Ireland we would say she was scundered, right? And so, as we got older, Naomi and, 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 and I's dynamic was just tense. There were times where she was really hot and cold with me, which really confused me. Uh, sometimes she would say, you know, oh, I love you and you're so important to me and she would brag about me and she'd even buy me gifts. And then at other times, she'd be unbelievably mean to me. She would like say really hurtful things. She'd embarrass me in front of my friends. Uh, sometimes she would like, over-exaggerate stories that I found really embarrassing and she would just elaborate and I'm like, that never happened and all my friends are just laughing at me, right? And so I really became resentful of her. In fact, for the longest time, I could not tell her that I loved her. 
I just felt like, it's just, if I say it, I won't mean it. So what's the point in even saying it? And our relationship just became more and more and more distant. And so for me, the idea of going all in with my family was a really, really hard idea. I, I didn't want to because things were tough. It was really sensitive. I didn't want to go all in. Now, you might be able to relate to that story. Maybe your family dynamic is a little bit like that, but your family dynamic might be much more extreme than that, right? I don't know your story. And so the idea of going all in with your family might be a really difficult thing to even start considering. So to help us understand why I think you should go all in and how I think you should go all in, I wanna look at a story that's extreme by any family standards. It's the story of a guy called Joseph. Now, many of you may be already familiar with that story, and if you are, you're gonna know that I'm gonna leave a lot of details out of this story. It's a really, really detailed story, and I'm gonna go through it kinda quickly, because I want you to see something at the end. If you have never heard this story before, this is one of the greatest stories that has ever been told, and I would encourage you to like pick up a Bible or, or you know, search it on your phone and read this whole story for yourself, because it's incredible. So let me tell you the story of Joseph. Joseph is this young guy, he lives in Israel. This is about two, or sorry, about um, 4,000 years ago. He lives in, in, uh, in Israel. He's the second youngest of 12 brothers, right? So huge family. He's the second youngest. The thing about it is he's kind of babied and he's also the favorite. His father just gives him everything that he wants. And he even buys him this multicolored coat just to show him how much he loves him. Now imagine if you're one of Joseph's brothers, you're looking at Joseph going, why are you getting all the favoritism? Why do you always get mom and dad's attention? Why do you always get your way in arguments? Now, if you have family members, if you have like a younger brother or sister and they're the favorite, you understand how frustrating this is, right? You're like, oh my goodness, if you get your way one more time, I'm gonna kill you. Right? Or if you are the favorite, you understand the resentment that your brothers or sisters might feel towards you. So this is Joseph's story, right? And one day, Joseph has a dream, wakes up unbelievably excited, and starts telling his brothers, guys, I had a dream, and I think God gave me this dream. And in the dream, all of you bowed down before me and served me. And his brothers are like, whoa, no chance no chance, but they weren't just mad, they were seething. They were like, there is no chance that that is ever gonna happen, Joseph. They get so angry that they take Joseph and think, we're gonna kill him. So they pick him up and they throw him down a well, a dirty, murky, smelly well. Now, I don't know what that would feel like. I bet it would be terrifying. One time my sister locked me in a suitcase for about 10 seconds, and that was absolutely traumatizing. But can you imagine what it would have been like to be thrown down a well? So here's Joseph, scared out of his wits, probably just a teenager, scared, thinking, what is gonna happen to me? So on the side, his brothers have a conversation and say, hey, let's just kill him. Let's just get rid of him. We'll tell our father that um, a wild animal came and killed him and you know, took his body away. And um, we'll get rid of Joseph forever. Now, you may have tough family dynamics, but hopefully your brothers and sisters have never plotted to kill you, okay? I hope that's never happened. This is, this is what's going on in Joseph's life. So instead of killing him, 
one of his older brothers said, let's not do that, let's just sell him. And as they're, as they're saying this, a group of, of um, slave traders comes walking by the road and they say, let's just pick him out of, out of the well and sell him to these guys. So that's what they do. His own flesh and blood brothers sold Joseph. They sold him. So I can imagine Joseph being taken off in chains by the people who were supposed to love him the most, the people who were supposed to be closest to him to protect him and look after him. And he's been sold, scared, thinking, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's gonna happen. I may be killed at any moment. I may be sold to somebody who's cruel and intolerable. I don't even know where I'm going. I'm, I'm gonna be leaving my parents. I don't know if I'm ever gonna see them again. Scary, scary stuff. And the slave traders take Joseph and they sell him to a man in Egypt called Potiphar. And Potiphar was an extremely wealthy man who owned this huge house and had all uh, you know, manner of servants. And right from the very beginning, Joseph displays a really great talent for administration. So much so that within a really short period of time, Joseph is the chief administrator in Potiphar's house and he's looking after everything. In fact, the writer of this story tells us that Joseph did so much for Potiphar that the only thing Potiphar had to worry about was what he was gonna eat that day. Everything else was looked after. So he's finding success finally. Things are maybe starting to, to, to go on the upwards. And then Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph and basically tries it on with him. And Joseph takes a look at her and says, no thanks, swipe left. And she's like so annoyed by this. She's so like, so like hurt and, and you know, whatever, by, by Joseph's rejection of her that she falsely accuses him of rape and Joseph ends up thrown into prison. So just as things were starting to lock up, now he's falsely imprisoned. And again, he's back to square one, scared and alone and betrayed. And in prison, Joseph meets some people and something he notices or learns about himself is that he has a talent for interpreting dreams. People would come to him and say, I had this weird dream, right? You know when you have those really weird dreams where you're like, I was floating in custard and you know, something like that. And you're like, what is it? What does it mean? It must mean something really important, right? So Joseph had this knack for saying, oh, actually, this is what that means, right? I don't know if it was about custard or whatever, but he, he has a knack for interpreting dreams. And, and as he learns this, one day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has this dream, right? A really weird dream about cows, of all things, right? Dreams about cows and it really disturbs him and he thinks, I need somebody to tell me what this dream means. So they pull Joseph out of prison, stand him before Pharaoh, who remember is the king of at this time the world's largest and most powerful empire. And they put him standing before Pharaoh and say, okay, Joseph, you gotta interpret this dream. So the Pharaoh tells him this dream and um, Joseph hears it and says, okay, I think I know, I think I can make sense of this. And so he, 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 tell, he talks about the dream and he says, okay, so I think what, what, what's happening in your dream is, it, it's kind of telling you that there are gonna be seven years of really good harvests. And when those seven years of really good harvests are finished, there's gonna be seven years of famine. So Pharaoh goes, he's like, okay, well, if that's true, then what am I gonna do about it? And Joseph says, well, do you want my advice 
I have a little bit of administration experience. Let me tell you what I would do. And so he comes up with this plan. He says, you know, Pharaoh, I would gather extra in the seven years of good harvest and put it away so that for the seven years of famine, you have enough food and wheat and grain to go around for the whole kingdom of Egypt. And Pharaoh is so impressed by how smart Joseph is and how brave he is to give an answer to this big problem that he says, all right, Joseph, I'm gonna put you in charge of doing that. I'm gonna give you command of all of my resources. And he ends up making him prime minister, second in command in Egypt. So here's this guy, Joseph, who went from the well into slavery to prison and ends up the prime minister, the second in command of the world's most powerful empire. Now, most people, when they tell this story, stop there. It's like, look at this, here's an incredible rags to riches story. Here's a story of a man who was wronged, who has been vindicated. Look, Joseph was right all along. Joseph was a good guy and, and, and he had been mistreated. Wow, what a Cinderella story. And most people stop there. But I think if you stop there, you miss one of the most important parts of the story. So I wanna fast forward a few years into the future. So Joseph is made prime minister. And then there's these seven years of famine. And it doesn't just affect Egypt, it affects all of the surrounding lands, including Israel, where his brothers live. So here's his brothers living in Israel in the midst of famine, and they're thinking, what are we gonna do? Let's go to Egypt and try and get some food. Let's, like, like, I don't know what to do. Let's go and just beg. And so his brothers end up on their knees in front of Joseph, begging for help. And here's what happens in the story. Genesis chapter 50 says this. So his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. Can we just pause here? If you have like some sort of bad blood with your brothers or sisters, how good would that feel? If they were just like, oh, just do with me whatever you want. I'm so sorry, right? That would feel so good. Here's Joseph with his brothers throwing themselves at his mercy. They say, we are your slaves. In other words, okay, Joseph, I know what we've done to you. Just help us out. We'll do anything. We, we just want to say sorry. We'll be your slaves if you want us to be. Now, I know for me, if I was Joseph, I would be like, yeah, you are definitely going to be my slaves. And that's not all. You're going to repay me. I mean, I would have all sorts of revenge strategies for this. I would be so tempted to get the, mo or get, you know, like get the most vengeance that I possibly could. But that's not what Joseph does. Here's what Joseph says. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In, in other words, Joseph says, hey, don't be afraid. Am I not in exactly the place that God would want me to be in? In other words, guys, has this not turned out even better than you could have possibly imagined? I mean, this is better than I had ever imagined for my life. Is it not obvious that God has been looking after me all this time? You guys don't need to be afraid. God's been looking after me. And then he says, you intended to harm me. Guys, you tried to hurt me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Here's what he's saying. You tried to hurt me, 
But in the midst of you trying to hurt me, God turned the situation around as I submitted myself to him, as I stayed humble, as I stayed committed to God's purpose in my life. He turned the entire situation around and made it even better than it could have ever been if I was just doing it on my own. In fact, if you guys hadn't done this, I probably wouldn't even end up where I am right now. Now, I don't think Joseph is saying God wanted me to be thrown in a well, but he's saying God turned this situation around. Even though you meant it for harm, God intended it for something better. And he continues. So then, so because of that, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be my slaves. I'm not looking for vengeance. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now this is so opposite from how he could have treated them. It would have been perfectly acceptable for him to seek vengeance, for him to want revenge. In fact, in, Joseph cult in Joseph's culture at that time, no one would have, would have said anything about it if he had killed them, sold them as slaves, or even at the very least imprisoned them, just thrown them in prison. No one would have even bat an eyelid. People would have said, yeah, well, they deserved it, of course. Of course you can do that, Joseph. And yet he speaks kindly to them. He says, hey, I'm gonna provide for you. See, here's what Joseph learned in the midst of all that. He learned that to be all in for your, sorry, to be all in with your family, you've gotta go all in for your family. See, it's not enough just to say, okay, when you pay me back, we'll be okay. Joseph said, I'm gonna be on your team. I want what's best for you. Joseph was incredibly able to move from, I want something from you. In other words, I want revenge. I want payback. I want an apology. He was able to move from, I want something from you to I want something for you. He said, look, I, I can't deny that in all of this, I've been put in a strategic position to actually help you. And so I'm not gonna ask for you to pay it back. I'm gonna give up my right to vengeance. And instead, I'm going to want the best for you. Now, I know for some of you, you hear that and you say, okay, Adam, that's a good story, but you don't know my story. If you knew my story, you would understand I can't possibly be for my family. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what's gone on. And you know what? If I heard your story, maybe I'd agree with you. I don't know. I don't know your story. All I can tell you is that a man who was thrown in a well, sold into slavery, ended up in prison, was able to want the best for those people who had done him so wrong. He was able to want something for them rather than requiring something from them. Now, I know for some of you, you might say, okay, okay, okay. But I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. I, I, I can't do that right now. And I would say, okay, that's fine. I get that. Because before you can be for, you must forgive. Before you can be for, you must forgive or you might remember it as before you, before you forgive. Sometimes it's just what we need to do. Before you can be for, you forgive. 
In other words, you say, okay, before I can be on your team, before I would want the best for you, I need to let go of what I've been holding on to. Yes, you have wronged me. I'm not gonna pretend like you haven't. Yes, you have hurt me. I'm not gonna pretend like you didn't. But I'm choosing to let it go. I would love for you to try something. This is an exercise that I've done and it's helped me just in ways I can't even describe. I want you to do this. I want you to write it down and write it off. Here's what I mean by that. If you're a journaler, I'm a big journaler, so I, I journal all the time. Or maybe you don't journal, maybe you just take out a piece of paper. Sometimes in order to forgive somebody, you need to take a record of what it is they've done wrong. You've gotta make a record of what it is that they owe you, what it is they've taken from you, what it is that you so desperately want from them. For me, I did this. I took a lot of paper and I wrote down everything I could possibly think of. For some of you, this means sitting down with a pen and paper and writing down in great detail to say, you took my innocence. You embarrassed me. You robbed me of my self-confidence. You hurt me. Whatever it is, write it down and then when you get down to the end of the list and the list will be longer than you ever imagined, I promise you, you say, all right, I'm writing it off. You no longer owe me that anymore. Your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad, your step-parents, your grandparents, whoever it is, you no longer owe me that. It's not that you haven't done me wrong, you have, but I'm not gonna require it from you anymore. Because when you hold on to something like that, it weighs you down and you can't rise above it and it keeps you trapped and you can never have healing and it's so hard to move on in life. Joseph was able to do this. He was able to write it and just write it off and say, you don't owe me that anymore and was free then to want something for his family. See, with my sister, we had a really tough time, but we made up for it. She got married in November. And I was thinking, man, I don't want anything to do with this. I had heard about it like about a year before and I'm like, gosh, she's gonna ask me to help out. She's gonna ask me to do things. I just, I just don't wanna do it. I just feel like I'm just mad at her. So I took out a piece of paper and I started to go through the things. I wrote it down and then I wrote it off and said, you know what? You don't owe me this anymore. And when I forgave her, then I was in a place where I could say, okay, you know what? I want the best for you. I want you to have a great wedding. I want you to have an awesome time. I want something for you, not something from you. And you know what? It has helped to heal our relationship. It's helped me not feel weighed down by the burden and the debt that I felt like she owed me. I could move on, she was able to move on and it was awesome. Now I'm able to be all in with my family. Now I'm able to say, hey, whatever you want, whatever you need, I'm here for you. Yes, there has been hurt in the past and there's been damage done, but I've forgiven it and now I am for you. I am on your team and I want the best for you. I wanna challenge you to do the same. Whatever the family dynamic is, whatever the history is in the relationship, I want you to consider doing what Joseph did. 
Rising above it and saying, you know what? I'm not gonna let what you did to me define me. I'm not gonna let what you said about me hold me back any longer. I'm gonna forgive it. I'm gonna be for you. And no longer am I gonna require an apology. I'm not gonna require payback. I'm not gonna require you to give me something in return. I want something for you, not something from you. And when you get there, you can go all in. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the incredible story of Joseph. When I hear that story, for me, it's just so hard to comprehend how forgiving he was. But God, his incredible act of forgiveness, his, his act of being for his family has encouraged me to do the same with mine. And I'm so thankful for it. God, I pray for each student in here who's struggling to go all in with their family. They've tried, it's not that they haven't tried, but it's just, it's been hard. God, would you help give them the courage to forgive? Give them the compassion to forgive, to write it down and then just write it off. And then let them be for their family. Let them be an agent of healing in their family. In Jesus' name, amen.